This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How a Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Peter Vexelman. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Peter is an entrepreneur, and he's one of the most successful real estate investors in the United States. He built a sizable managed portfolio by developing a unique collaboration approach between brokers, agents, investors, and sellers. And we'll chat a bit about that. He's also the CEO of Vex Does Real Estate and the founder of Coaching by Peter. So he's a, an expert and a successful real estate investor and coach. And we'll chat about that business. Prior to his real estate business, uh, he had other businesses, including a franchise system, which I'm curious to chat a little bit with him about, and a mobile home investment and brokerage business. So in this episode, we're going to chat about Peter's journey, his entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today, tips and advice for starting and growing a business, as he has done multiple times, and we'll also touch on real estate investing as well. Uh, so Peter lives in the Atlanta, Georgia area with his family. And so once again, Peter Vexelman, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Well, Peter, let's, uh, let's start where we usually start, which is uh, if I got the research right, you find you got a BS in finance and real estate investing in college. Is that right? Uh, just finance. I don't think there's just anything finance. Like that okay. related to, to real estate. Okay. Yeah, I saw that on the... Um, I thought I saw that on your LinkedIn profile, but that's, that makes a little bit more sense. So what did you think you were going to go on to do after college back then? Well, literally did not know. I mean, all the way to the day I graduated. As a matter of fact, you know, it's funny how life happens. I just had lunch with my dad today and we were talking, you know, I've never ever in my life drawn a paycheck, never had an opportunity to collect a W-2 for one very simple reason. When it was time for me to graduate, I literally was at the very, very bottom of my class at Miami University. So much not, not only was I not able to get a job, I wasn't even able to get an interview. <laughs> so, so I was literally one of those people that trial by fire was forced into business literally from the time I got out of college. And, you know, here I am today, many years later. Did it bother you back then, Peter? Or did, or did you know that this, that just wasn't for you? What were you feeling back then when you were struggling through school and struggling to find a job? Um, no, I don't think it bothered me. You know, our, our, our existing lives, our existing realities, and I kind of thought that was a normal thing. I was never one to kind of uh, have a pity party on myself now and, and, and never back then. I just kind of sort of thought something would work out and uh, um, just thought things would fall into place. Yeah. You know, it, it never bothered me not 
doing well in school because I didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wouldn't do anything along those lines for the rest of my life just for a simple fact how little I enjoyed it. But you had the discipline to finish, though, and that's a big deal. I did finish. That's the best thing you could say about my college career, <laughs> but I did finish. Well, why did you stick to it and finish? Um, I didn't, just didn't think there were other options. I mean, I was enjoying my college years. I was having a good time during my college time. I come from a, a family of two very well-known and high-ranking engineers, both PhDs. So, was, you know, I grew up in a family where it's just, you know, there's certain things that are assumed and ex expected, and right. that was one of them. It was assumed and expected that I would go to college and somehow finish college. Yeah, yeah. But then, obviously, like you said, socially, it sounds like you did enjoy the experience, just academically, it just wasn't what you wanted to do, I think. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. I enjoyed the social life. My dad will tell you to this day, they spend Forty-some thousand dollars on uh, getting my uh, social life acclimated. I hear you. I hear. You. I have uh, our only child. Our daughter is a freshman in college, so we're starting to experience those years through her now. Um, so, what did you end up doing after college? Tell us about that. Those early years after college. I actually started uh, just for a little bit. I got into insurance sales and did very, very well there. I was actually. Um, Turned out to be one of the rookies of the year for uh, a very, very large uh, insurance uh, company. Um, then I got into the vending industry, did fairly well, ended up um, building a couple fairly big routes and then sold, a, sold the routes off to some bigger players. Um, then got in the franchising industry for a number of years, uh, sold that off at a point in time, and then uh, got into mobile homes and then made a transition transition from mobile homes into to real estate. And here I am 15 years later. Yeah. So I want to go back to the franchising. What are we talking about there? What type of franchise are we talking about? Well, well we actually started a buddy of mine. We, we uh, He was in the merchant services industry and, um, you know, just selling credit card machines to C-stores, convenience stores. And, you know, this is just amazing how things work out in life where sometimes timing is more important than the know-how. Just around back then, if you remember food stamps, um, you know, food stamps used to become in, in, in paper form. Right. And there was just a lot of fraud associated with that. Sure. So there was a point in time where the government mandated that they were going to go from a paper format of food stamps to mm -hmm. uh, basically credit cards. So now if somebody's on food stamps, they just basically get a credit card. Uh, and every month, the government literally refills that credit card. And so there was a point in time when, the, when, when this was happening across the country, there was basically a mandate that everyone that accepts credit cards needed to get new terminals that were going to be adapted for, this, for the EBT credit cards, which basically meant every single merchant in the United States needed to buy a terminal by a certain date and time. So we would literally just hire a bunch of sales guys. It didn't matter if they were good or bad or didn't know what the heck they were doing. <laughs> And they would just literally, we'd send them out to see stores. They'd walk in with this mandate, basically said, hey, in the next three months or whatever, you have to buy a new credit card machine. And guess what? We happen to be a supplier of the credit card machines that were able to take the EBT cards. And we were just making a killing. I mean, I, and, and we were making such a killing back here in, in Georgia. At a point in time, I ran into a guy that at that point had built the largest voicemail company in a world, and he wow. did it through a, a, a franchising concept, a, a 41, it was called a 49er concept, where 49% is owned by the local operator and 51% by the corporate. And uh, he actually just sold it right right when he met me. Uh, and then 
uh, we started talking. He took a liking to our concept, so he kind of brought the know-how and, and some people into the into our world. And we just started chasing this EBT across the states. You know, as a state would open up, we would just, you know, sell a franchise in there and uh, go at it state by state by state. Fantastic. And three years, you know, three years, within three years, a couple of years, we had sold 15 franchises. But what happened at that point, what actually drove me out of the business is that it, it was no longer a business for us. You know, we had 100 employees, we had a board of directors, we had... You know, it was my company, but I wasn't, I wasn't the owner. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to make any more decisions. So we kind of got past that entrepreneurial stage to, you know, more of a mature business stage. So yeah. that wasn't me. And so I got out of that, sold my shares, and moved on. Yeah. Interesting. Great experience. Or what, what did you take away from that? If somebody asks you now about a franchise business opportunity, how do you look at it now? What's your thoughts on that? I wouldn't do it. You know, I, I have a you know, very large real estate company right now that I've expanded to several states. And my model now is partnerships. Franchising is a very, te very stringent, very tedious, very paperwork intensive, very expensive. I mean, just I think we spend a hundred grand just for the right paperwork back then mm -hmm. to be able to franchise. It's a very black and white kind of a setup. So, you know, uh, you know, obviously a lot of other people have done it successfully. My, me personally, I would not, I would not expand through franchising concept. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. So the mobile home business is interesting. I heard you in another interview talk about that. There was a period of time where that was a tremendous business to be in and was solving a lot of problems for people from, for their living situation. Tell us just a little bit about that business and how you grew that business. Yeah, and so after I got out of the franchising, I was sitting down and with somebody trying to figure out what to do with my life. They handed me a book by Lonnie Scruggs, Deals on Wheels. And I read that book and never really heard about mobile homes up until that point. Read that book, thought it was the most unbelievable, amazing thing I've ever seen. So I did what I always try to do, try to go to the top. So I got a hold of Lonnie himself, called him up. Just so happened that weekend, he had a seminar in his, in his hometown. He said, come on down, you know, we'll grab dinner. And that's what I did. I you know, went across country, we saw him, had dinner with him, came back, bought my first mobile home um, that week, and three years later I had the largest brokerage ship of mobile homes in, here in Georgia, which, uh, you know, if you know anything about Georgia, it's very, very heavily populated with mobile homes, at least it was back then. And we developed a unique model. Again, that's always been my philosophy in business. You don't compete by outperforming your competition. Because in the end, you can only get slightly better and some things you cannot do better. You compete by differentiating yourself from, from your competition. And then you create your own playing field where there is really no competition. So we developed a pretty unique model there. But about three years later, the financing fell out of that industry pretty much overnight. So we were not able to provide financing for our back-end buyers. And, um, and that's when I transitioned into real estate. That was during the 2008 crash, right? Uh, no, no, it was way before that. Okay, so the, the mobile home, was, there was another financial crisis that affected financing for mobile homes or just lenders got out of that business for whatever Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it was a crisis. Yeah, I didn't know if, it's, you know, it's funny you say that. I don't think it was a crisis. I mean, just they got out of it. I don't yeah. think it was a really profitable business for them. So they just, you know, Greenpoint, Green Street, Green Street, MHFC, uh, Bank of America, literally within three to four months, they all just kind of pulled out of that sector. Right, and that killed the business to an extent. You, the common something you touched on, I think, is a common thread for you is always going and seeking the best in a particular area and learning from them. Um, has that been an approach you've always taken? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can go out there and you could try to reinvent the wheel yourself or, you know, try to push the, the rock off the mountain yourself or, the, you know, but it's so much easier when somebody's uh, up there at the top and extends their hand down and, and is pulling you up. So, you know, li life's too short to try to constantly reinvent the wheel and, and, and battle things that have already been battled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like you've always had a knack for that, an instinct for that, to look for how to really come up with something unique, learn from the best, and then create a unique approach to that as a differentiator. And we'll come back to that point. So then it looks like 2002 timeframe is when you start the real estate arena. What was that business? Uh, real estate arena was just kind of an offshoot of, of, of the real estate business, of the, my real estate investment company. The way we would get our deals back then, we do to this day a little bit, not as much, but back then, we would utilize what are known as bird dogs, and those are just basically people that we would train to go out and out in the streets, out in the field, and and bird dog deals for us, find deals for us, real estate deals, and that's like a in the real estate industry, that's a whole like profession, being a bird dog. Mm. You know, those are people that aren't really quite necessarily in a position to do the deal all the way through the process, but they could at least find it, and then they hand it off to real investors like myself that then take it over and close on it and do something with it and profit on the back end. And then that handoff of, of the initial stage of the deal, they get paid a, a finder's fee. Basically. I see. I see. And that's how we built our real estate investment business. And, and, and we started training bird dogs to teach us. And we started out initially just teaching ourselves, I'm sorry, just teaching for ourselves some bird dogs, then the training got so good, our competitors actually started sending bird dogs to get trained in our operation and then go work for them. So then we said, well, what we're going to do, if that's going to happen, we're going to at least charge for it. So we started charging for it. And we just, we just I remember the offices I was in back then, we literally had to knock down walls. That's how popular that training was. <laughs> then we moved into hotels, and every Friday we would train people, we'd pack them out, and just we'd spend a day or two and just teach people how to find deals. And the, the cool thing about us, the unique thing about us is that we had a built-in, we were ourselves investors in the back end. So not only would we train people how to find deals, but we'd say, hey, come on and find deals and we'd be the buyers for them. Right. And, you know, so the word got out and it got bigger and bigger and then we decided to take it nationally. And when we took it nationally, we put all of this on the, on the internet. And that's what we called it, the real estate arena. And what really the real estate arena became was a platform for anyone in the real estate industry who, wants to, who wanted to learn this entry-level position of being a bird dog. And I think in the end, we had about 60,000 people come through that training. Wow. Yeah. Okay, and so now today, if I got it right, you focus on Vex Does Real Estate and Coaching by Peter. Just give us the synopsis on what those two businesses are, how they work together, and what you, what keeps you busy these days. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm an investor, um, and then I have a, a coaching platform for those that want to get in the business and learn how to be successful, or those that are already in the business and they want to be more successful. On my investing side, uh, you know, I'm headquartered out of here in Atlanta. I do about five to ten deals a week personally here. Also have an operation in Jacksonville and Tampa and Orlando and Dallas, California and, 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 and Wisconsin. And collectively between all those fields, you know, do, you know, as many as a couple dozen deals on a weekly basis. And um, um, the uniqueness now, the uniqueness in this model that, that I've developed is that we don't go to the market just through, hey, I'm an investor and I want to get your property for pennies and a dollar. What I've done is I've successfully packaged um, my investment company with a traditional real estate brokerage, real estate agents. 
So what happens in our world when sellers are contacting us about possibly selling their properties, you know, we don't take them the route of, hey, I'm an investor. We don't take them the route of, hey, we're real estate agents. We take them the route through, we're consultants. And we could help you. You know, we empower the consumer. We tell the consumers that with us, yeah, we can come in and buy your property. But if we can't buy it, we have other options to help you get rid of it. And, and so by doing that, we create a tremendous amount of value for the consumers. You know, we put them through an experience they've never been put through before because there's no one really at that organized level that's going to the market this way. And um, so here in Atlanta, I have a team of a couple dozen agents. I have a, uh, we do we have a big marketing budget that we, we, we market to the Atlanta community. And I have a whole call center of, of, of people that take these inbound calls from sellers. They explain our consultative approach that you know we could either buy it or we could help you sell it. Either way, we can we can help you. And they're basically setting appointments for my agents. And then when the agents get to these people's homes, they give them an option. You know, we're not just the best realtors. We're not just investors. We're both. And you know, if it makes sense for you, and you need something done quick, but maybe willing to do it a little discount, and we'll take it. We'll just buy it ourselves. But if you're willing to stay in the property a little bit longer, put up with a little bit more headaches, we'll just put it in the market and you know, get you a retail price for it. Yeah. And, and, and this consultative approach has absolutely taken off like wildfire. I mean, yeah, a consultative and integrated approach where you offer the entire solution has, has been the unique solution. differentiator. You got it. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears. Maybe you're not entirely sure about what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of entrepreneurship. I will take you step by step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. So, Peter, another thing I've heard you talk about, certainly have written about, is the importance of systems. You've always looked at systems as being something you have to implement soon or at the start of the business. Tell tell me about that and your philosophy on systems. Well, systems, I think, in my world, that's just another way of growing things. You know, we all start out as entrepreneurs where we are the business. And guess what? We do everything. We do all the way from, from negotiating to buying to selling to whatever that whatever the tasks are but at a point in time we want to start growing well when you grow you have to start implementing systems you know you want to make sure it's it's duplicatable it's replicatable you want to make sure it's predictable from day to day and so what systems allow you to do beyond growth ultimately is they allow you to create a lifestyle for yourself um, you know, they allow you to not only like, for instance, here in my Atlanta office, I have 20 some employees and really the business functions without me. Sure. I'm here. I'm painting the vision and, you know, doing the, the, the tasks that an, that an owner needs to do. 
but they're not the day-to-day tasks. Well, was it not, were not for us systematizing uh, all of our procedures, uh, all of our ways of doing things, that, that that would not be possible. It'd be a free-for-all. Everybody would be doing whatever they want to do. But again, the key to systems, why I always encourage business owners when they're ready to start growing, that they got to do it through a systematic approach, is that it allows you to leverage yourself through other people, through other technologies, and ultimately create an incredible lifestyle, you know, beyond just the financial side of business. Right. And you got to get it out of your head so you're not the one that always has to answer all of the questions or make all of the decisions and onto paper. When you start doing that, how do you do it? Are you someone that writes it yourself? Do you hire it out? Do you bring somebody on that's good at that? How have you developed systems most effectively? Well, my philosophy to to um, business growth is I I surround myself with a, a couple of key people. You know, I have my CEO, um, Julie. Uh, I have my middle managers. That's my key hires in this company. Uh, beyond that, what I do is I work with them, but really let them take the lead in terms of systematizing things. Okay. Um, that so it's, it's, they're, they're charged with actually creating these systems based on the guidance and information you're sharing with them. You're involved in it, but they actually execute on creating the systems. You got it. You got it. You know, my goal is to bring the right talent on board and the right talent then has to be able to leverage and scale this thing out. Yeah. When you were a smaller organization and maybe you didn't have the luxury of those, those layers of people then, um, was that more challenging? Did you do more of it yourself or was, were your systems just more rudimentary? Tell us a little bit more about when you were a smaller organization. Well, sure. You know, when you're smaller, when you're a one man or one woman show, you do do it all. Um, but it's very easy at that point also to get caught up in the minutia of everything that gets to be done. Right. And so, you know, the one of the talents I think I have is being able to stay focused and be able to compartmentalize and separate things and, and really see things for what they are. And in the end, even from the time I was a one man show to now, you know, have uh, operations throughout the United States, um, I tend to spend an overwhelming majority of my time on things that drive revenue. You know, and so that's especially important when you're a one person show, you know, it's, you know, you see so many business owners that stay busy and there's no question they're busy. They're busy from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, but they're busy with non-revenue generating things, Right. you know, running around to the store or, you know, sizing things up or talking to people that are not, that need to be talked to, but will never generate revenue. So I've always, especially in the, you know, when I started as a one man investor, uh, probably 80% of my time were things that were all accounting for that bottom line. You know, negotiating deals, talking to sellers, talking to buyers, all of that stuff. Related to that, and so great takeaways there. Related to that, I think one of the things we're challenged with sometimes as small business owners is when do we bring someone on? When can we, quote unquote, afford to bring someone on to help us? And we tend to look at it that way as, as a pure cost as opposed to the investment that we're making in building our business. Give us your thoughts on that, on how you've decided to bring people on before maybe the numbers even made sense necessarily. Well, you know, reality is I look at things totally opposite. The numbers should look better when you bring someone on board because really when you're taking things away from yourself, you know, let's use my my industry, but any, any, any industry could be looked at this way. Um, the, 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 one of the first things I did is I took myself out of the negotiating process in real estate. And, you know, I thought I was a great negotiator. 
But guess what? I brought a full-time professional negotiator to negotiate deals for myself. It wasn't a cost thing. It was, it was an immediate revenue-driven thing. Um, and, and, and so what I think happens is most business owners, sure, the cost, but you know, once they start understanding how the costs work, they understand it's really not a cost thing. I think most business owners think they're just so good at everything. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid to let go. They think, well, yeah. I'm the best at this, and I'm the best at that. And reality is, there's nothing. There's nothing in my company right now that I'm the best at. I'm not the best negotiator, not the best inspector, not the best realtor, not the best smart. I'm not best at anything. But I was smart enough to figure that out fairly early on in the business and started surrounding myself with people. And you know what? When it comes to cost, there's very creative ways of doing things. You know, for instance, in real estate, guess what? In real estate, this is an industry where tons of people work on commissions. So I didn't have to really pay for them up front. You know, you could set up, you know, you can give people equity stakes uh, in, in your company if, if you don't think you can afford it. So the money is never the problem. I think it's more of a mentality of when, you know, people not wanting to let go of some very key components in their business. And they really have to make that shift and understand they're probably the ones holding their business up. You know, yeah, even, if they're, even if they're the best at one particular task, well, guess what? Throughout the day, you got to do 20 different tasks as a business owner. I'd rather have somebody full-time at 80% effort, but full-time on a task that I have to only have, you know, can only put an hour a day into, and in an end, you know, not give it as much relevance as they would. Yeah, uh, well put, well said, because again, I think you touched on the point, we tend to, even if we do bring somebody on, we don't let them go, we still want to micromanage that and, and make it ours, and, and that's what hinders that. But yeah, all those are, are great points, it's it's how we must grow, we only have so many hours in a day, and unless we want to be working 24-7, which even then would not be as productive as bringing in other people, then we have to be able to let go. All right, I want to touch on coaching and building a coaching business. A lot of our listeners have those types of businesses or are looking to start those types of businesses. So I'd like to get your thoughts a little bit on building a, a coaching business because that's a different, a slightly different type of business. Tell, tell us about how you started it. I know it's kind of started, if I understood correctly, because you had so much demand for people wanting to learn how you taught to be a bird dog, or did I get that right, the right term, bird dog, out there looking for ideal properties? And then that evolved into a coaching business. Did I get that right? Well, kind of, sort of, but not totally. Um, I got into coaching just really out of necessity. So when the market crashed, you know, when you're going back to 08, market was crashing. I was kind of spiraling myself out of control. And just one of my employees was doing coaching on the side. And I remember one day mm-hmm. Donna said, hey, I got a couple coaching clients. Can you help me? I got to go on vacation. So I did a couple sessions for her. And then I didn't, even, didn't know anything about coaching. And then next thing you know, you know, she said, well, why don't we do one of the, a couple of these together? And here I am now, you know, I've coached or mentored, you know, thousands of people in this business. And, and that's what I do. So now when people are interested in learning how to become successful investors, I could take it all the way from, from zero, literally ground zero and take, spend a whole year with them one-on-one, develop plans of action, you know, communicate with them on a weekly basis you know, give them the tools, resources, make all the appropriate contacts, help them close a bunch of deals, help them make a bunch of money. That's a, that's an unsophisticated investor or someone brand new. And I have some very sophisticated investors that basically get stuck at a point in time and now they need to break through the wall. And I work with those and show them how to develop very dynamic, very 
you know, multi-layered type of investing companies and businesses. So you touched on there what a coach starting out his challenge with is that it's so it's they have to deliver that coaching and so you run out of bandwidth pretty quickly. So how have you evolved it such that you can continue to grow the coaching business, but it's not necessarily you delivering that one-on-one -on -one coaching, or maybe it is for elite clients, but talk to us about that. Well, no, I've actually gone back to that. I've gone, I've been on all sides of coaching, you know, all the way to stage guru coaching when you're talking to, you know, masses and masses of people. Now I do work exclusively just be with people one-on-one. -on -one. Obviously, that doesn't allow me to work with a lot of people, but allows right. me to add a lot of value to those people. And uh, it also gives me the ability to expand my own business because a lot of my coaching clients in the end become people that I do deals with. They become partners. So this has really become a way for me to expand my own footprint. Mm -hmm. So I am fairly exclusive, uh, but for those people that do get onto my one-on-one -on -one coaching program, you know, I, they, they are very happy. We do deals. We partner on stuff. And, uh, you know, my, one of my immediate goals in the first number of months, I get them, you know, help them replace their existing income so they can get out of jobs they're in or businesses that are eating them apart up and become full-time investors. But that, that's not the only offering that you have, the one that works with you one-on-one. -on -one. You have other offerings as well, or is that all you offer currently in the way of coaching? Uh, currently, yeah, that's pretty much it. I have some web-based stuff, uh, but you know, to, to really for people to find out where they fit in, it, you know, you mentioned it once or twice already. They should just go to coachingbypeter.com, and you know, there I kind of lay out some of the options, and there's ability to connect with me directly. Kind of, you know, on my high end, I when when I say I expand my existing partner, my model, I do that through when people contact me and they're already savvy, they're successful. Sometimes I can start out on partnership level with them immediately. And when I partner with people, I provide marketing for them. I, I have my own negotiators for my offices in Atlanta negotiate deals on their behalf. You know, but that's more of a high-end, very boutique type of coaching service I offer. It's really almost like a partnership from the get-go. Yeah. Okay, I want to touch a little bit more on the topic that you brought up earlier on differentiation. And I, I think that's what you believe is key to any business growing is you got to find that differentiator for yourself. For you and your business, it's that integrated approach with investment and sales and bringing that together, that consultative approach. But talk to me about that. What do you see when you, when you look at other small business owners that they struggle with? What are the mistakes that they're making on this point of differentiation? Well, I think most people just don't do it. They just don't do it. They get in the business, you know, whether it's a bakery or whether it's a, being a dentist, whether maybe it's something to do with real estate, maybe it's doing uh, broadcasting the way they do, and they follow the beaten path of everybody else who does the exact same thing. And so what they, and so what, what then in order to compete, they have to get better. They have to get stronger. They have to get more boisterous. And in the end, you could only increase your talents by so much. You know, in the end, there's only one person at the top. There's only one, you know, so they become just part of the masses. And so, again, they don't even think about it. Well, the way I've always grown my business is I try to figure out something unique I could do, something I could do that no one else does, some way I can go to the market in which no one else does, something I could deliver in which no one else does. And what that does is immediately I create my own playing field. There's no competition on that playing field. You know, there's no competitors that I have to get better at. There's no one... That, that I'm, you know, chasing me behind me and no one I'm trying to catch up to. Um, and um, so I think if business owners start looking at it, what can they do that's unique? What can they do different? What can they do to differentiate themselves? 
instead of constant, and I'm not saying they shouldn't try to better themselves, but don't compete in the field where you have a ton of competition. Separate yourself and then create your own playing field. Yeah. I think sometimes what we do is we want to differentiate, well, we end up having to differentiate on price. So we drop our commission or we drop our price or whatever. We, we run sales. And so that's, we end up having to do that when, we just, uh, when we're just in a commodity business. Absolutely. And guess what? We all know margins, margins matter, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you get these guys doing, you know, a lot of stuff because they go to the market the cheapest and then the next thing you know, they're out of business. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't think of differentiating your on. I would almost argue that if what you're trying to do is differentiate yourself based upon price, you're not differentiating yourself. That's yeah. just another way of trying to, you know, compete. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. All right. So great. Thanks for sharing those those tips on growing and, and starting a business. We'll touch a little bit here now on real estate, because as myself, I, I'm a business owner, but I also dabble on the side in real estate investment. I was a realtor back in the early 2000s and now do more passive investing, mostly in commercial development. But for a small business owner who's listening, who wants to maybe begin to diversify and start using real estate as a way to, to expand their investments, What's your recommendation for somebody like that to get started? You got to know what you're doing. I mean, real estate, the problem, the great thing about real estate is got no barriers to entry, literally, you know, whether it's knowledge wise, money wise, infrastructure wise. Uh, the bad thing about real estate is that it's got no barriers to entry. And so I've seen a lot of people take a lot of big hits in real estate. I mean, in real estate, you could sneeze the wrong way and lose a lot of money. So, so you really, really got to understand what you're doing. You got to figure out what it is you're capable of doing because not everyone's capable of doing everything in real estate, as you know. Um, you got to figure out what the goals are, what the objectives are, and then you got to path. You know, you got to be able to paint a path of of how you're going to get from 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 A to B. Now, if somebody's fairly serious about the business, what I always recommend people go connect with some local successful real estate investor in your marketplace. Find out what they need and. Go, go work for them for a little while. It's the best way to kind of jump in this business if you can't, you know, if you're not in a position or you don't want to get a coach or a mentor. Right. Go work for someone that's doing it and do it for free. Yeah, and learn as much as you can. If it's someone who wants to do this as, you know, the popular term now is the side hustle or do it on the side, I think what your, what your advice is, if you're going to do this, you have to dedicate the time and learn. Otherwise, what I've done is I've found people who that is their full-time thing and then passively invest with those people. Does that, that make sense? I, I like it. And I will tell you, you do not have to do this business 24-7. You could do it on a part-time basis. Okay. All right. But again, very, very important. You've got to, got to connect with somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah. You know, not, uh, you know again, we either go find somebody that's very successful in your marketplace and ask them what you could do to help them or get yourself a coach or a mentor and, and have them kind of hold you by the hand and walk you through all the processes. Yeah. Good. Good advice. All right. I'd like to turn it a little bit more back to personal again. If, if you think back in your life, Peter, to a decision that you made that now you believe has had positive effect on your life and your business, what would that be? Mm. Uh, probably when I decided to, to, to grow my business, it was a little bit scary in the beginning. Um, and you know, it's a big hurdle for a lot of people, but when I took that plunge, you know, when I got an office years and years ago, when I bought some furniture years and years ago, when yeah. I bought, brought my first person on board years and years ago, it was a, it was a big jump because I am, I am somewhat of a control freak. Some that I think a lot of business owners are. But that decision propelled me. No, it was probably one of the catalysts to propelling me to where I am today. Yeah, 
And so you were getting over back then a lot of the things that we talked about on letting go and an understanding that perhaps 80% of your standard is, is better than you trying to do it all. You know, who doesn't go through that kind of a, a, a mind, you know, twisting thing? So, yeah, I, I, I along, you know, right now I talk about it as if it's a no brainer. You know, I did it. Everybody does it. And whoever's listening is the only person that is not doing it. But no, it's, uh, it's something that I think we all as owners uh, struggle and fight with. Yeah, I think you touched on it. As entrepreneurs, I, I think I have found that that's something that we have in common is we are control freaks. We have to learn to put that, keep that in check such that we can grow. Otherwise, we cannot grow as a solo entrepreneur beyond a certain level. You got it. Yeah. What do you love most about what you do today? Oh, gosh, I love it all. I, I really do. I mean, I guess if you would say that what's the ultimate benefit, it's the lifestyle it's created for us. You know, uh, married, got three kids. We got multiple houses. We, we you know, we, we do things we want to do. We, we control our time the way we've never been able to control our time years ago. Um, I love the business. I love working. I, you know, I'm, I'm on this P. I'm, I'm up usually 3.30, 4 in the morning and you know, usually get more things done by 9 a.m. than most people that have jobs get done during the day. I um, so I'm, I, you know, whether it's the social aspect, whether it's the family aspect, and and whether it's the business aspect. I mean, you know, knock on wood. You know, I uh, the life is uh, life's good right now. Yeah, that's great. All right, we've touched on your businesses, but you give us again the the summary elevator pitch on the services that you offer through your different businesses. Well, on the investing business, for those that may be looking to partner with a sophisticated investor like myself, I'm, I look to do deals all over the country. So if they have a legitimate deal, I'd love for them to contact me. And, you know, I always give my cell phone out, 404-915-9685, and just text me what they got. Uh, but if those that are listening in your audience today want to be, learn how to become investors or they're investors already and they're looking to get to a higher level, just go to my website, coachingbypeter.com, or I uh, coachingbybypeter.com, and um, you know they have the ability to get me on board for 12 months, working with them, and, and really showing them how to how to become successful in this business. Fantastic. For our listeners, if you did not catch all of that, we will have all of that information, his contact info, on the show notes page for this episode. Peter, is there a book that comes to mind, or that you've read recently, or in the past, for that matter, that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, along the way, the kind of the underlying theme somehow turned out to be today, but it's the e-myth. You know, it's that working on your business, not in your business. And again, that is where when, when you buy into that concept uh, and totally buy into it, that's when you have a business that becomes an autopilot. That's when you have a lifestyle, not just a high-paying or a low-paying job. Yeah, one of my favorite books, it's, uh, I think it's a must-read for all business owners. Uh, let's uh, wrap it up. Last parting piece of advice or thought for our listeners, and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, go for it. Listen, I understand people that are listening to this, they're entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs, and go for it. I mean, my goodness, what do you got to lose? Maybe some time, maybe some money. But um, it, it's a lifestyle like no other, and it's, and it's one worthy of going for it. It's one worthy of investing time, effort, and energy into. It's one worthy losing some sleep over. And you know what? Being an entrepreneur, it's worth losing some money over too. Because on the back end, if you're able to persevere and make it, it's it's like nothing that 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 most people realize. It's awesome. Yeah, great advice. 
All right, and I think uh, coachingbypeter.com is where you'd like people to go to find out more about you and the business yes. and the cell phone number, which will all be on the show notes page, right? Awesome. That'd be great. Very good. Peter, thanks for taking the time, sharing your knowledge with us, and uh, we appreciate you being on the show today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Henry. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.